These are the ordinances that you must set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he is to serve for six years. Then in the seventh, he is to leave as a free man without paying anything. If he arrives alone, he is to leave alone. If he arrives with a wife, his wife is to leave with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children belong to her master and the man must leave alone. But if the slave declares, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I do not want to leave as a free man, his master is to bring him to the judges and then bring him to the door or doorpost and his master must pierce his ear with an awl and he will serve his master for life. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. That is quite the text to start off a sermon with. I might be the only preacher in the county that's preaching from this text this week. <laughs> you know, I was thinking as I put this sermon together this week, I do a lot of thinking. And I was thinking about this particular month that we're in that America now terms Pride Month. They have designated the month of June to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning pride. I had to look all those up to know exactly what they stood for. LGBTQ+. It is celebrated in all these ways are considered an acceptable choice of life or behavior. What makes all these acceptable in the eyes of some? You ever thought about that? What makes these behaviors acceptable in the eyes of some? Who is deciding what is right and what is wrong? Are we allowed to just think about things and if we get enough people to stand behind something and it becomes popular, does that somehow all of a sudden make a behavior okay? Who is calling the shots here? Who decides what is okay? I've pondered on this this week because of the text that we're about to delve into. A text about slavery laws. We just read a minute ago, when you buy a Hebrew slave. And then we have verses 2 through 6 here explaining the process of obtaining a male slave. That's what these verses are about. A male servant, a man servant. And they regulate the practice of slavery. These verses do. So this law here in Yahweh's instruction manual makes a lot of people uncomfortable. If I were to preach on this law in a lot of different churches, it would make people very uncomfortable. This law makes a lot of the promoters of the LGBTQ plus Pride Month uncomfortable. They would actually use a text like this in Exodus. They would tell you this text, show you this text, and use it as a launching pad that the Bible is outdated, the Bible is perverse, God is a monster because he allowed things that we know are wrong. So, who is right? Who's right? They get to pick what they deem to be an acceptable practice, and then there are certain practices that they condemn. They condemn all forms of slavery, and yet they promote practicing homosexuality, among other things. I condemn practicing homosexuality, but yet I promote the laws of Yahweh, one of which is found here regulating slavery. 
The key difference between them and me is that I am reading this holy book given to the great old patriarchs and prophets and servants of Yahweh by Yahweh and I am trusting that the Creator knows what's best for His people. I'm not sitting in my bedroom at my desk trying to come up with what's right and what's wrong, deciding by Matthew's reasoning what's good and acceptable and what's bad and condemned. I'm letting Yahweh call the shots. I let the Almighty decide what is good behavior and bad behavior. And I go with what He says. On the other hand, the promoters of this month will tell you there is no Almighty. A lot of them will. You are your own God. If it feels right, do it. And I reject that thinking today. I rebuke that thinking today. So what we have here, beginning in Exodus 21 verse 1, is a continuation of Yahweh speaking His commandments. He's been speaking to Prophet Moshe alone since Exodus 20 verse 22. Remember when the people trembled because they witnessed the thunder and the lightning and the trumpet blast and the mountain was surrounded in smoke. They requested, let Moshe speak to us, not Elohim, not the Almighty, because if the Almighty speaks to us, we're going to die. So let Prophet Moshe talk to us. So in Exodus 20 verse 21, it says that the people remained standing at a distance as Moshe approached the thick darkness where Elohim was. And then Yahweh told Moshe, and then he begins to give the commandments of Exodus 20, 22 through 26, the ones that we've covered here in the last 12 or 13 sermons that I've taught through Exodus, the laws against making gods of silver and gold, the laws for making an altar of earth or an altar of unhewn stone that you offer your burnt offerings and peace offerings upon. And then finally we covered the law that tells us, specifically the men here in Exodus 20, make sure to cover your nakedness. You don't want to go around showing off your nakedness. So we went over all of that. But today we move into the next chapter. But it's not really a new chapter, see. The chapters and verse divisions were added by a man named Robert Estian, or nicknamed Stephanus, oh, around the Protestant Reformation time, the 1500s, right around that time. I think Brother TJ talked about this not long ago. But it makes for easy access to be able to find things in a printed Bible. So we say, turn to Exodus chapter 21. But the chapters and verse divisions and punctuation and all that, none of that's inspired. That was added by translators and men. Not all of it's bad. But I'm just letting you know that the thought continues. A new chapter begins, but Yahweh is still speaking to prophet Moshe right here. These commandments that we're reading about in Exodus 21 verse 1, where it says, these are the ordinances that you must set before them. These commandments were quite possibly to be spoken by Yahweh to all of the people had the people not said, let Moshe speak to us and not Elohim. Had they not said that, it's quite possible. I wouldn't say that it's 100% foolproof, but it's quite possible that Yahweh would have just continued to talk to the whole congregation. But since they requested for Moshe to speak to them, Yahweh pulls Moshe aside. He gives him the commandments, but it's still Yahweh speaking. So these commandments that we're reading now in chapter 21, they're just as holy, they're just as binding as the quote-unquote Big Ten. Now the word Ten Commandments, the phrase Ten Commandments is a biblical phrase. Uh, but we shouldn't call them the Big Ten and think, well, it's just the Ten and you're in. <laughs> no, that's not true. 
See, these commandments in Exodus 21.1 to the end of chapter 23 explain to us and teach us how to properly and completely obey the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are just broad headings under which several statutes, ordinances, and judgments hang. So if you want to know how to obey the Ten Commandments, you have to read all of the law. Yeshua didn't come to do away with any part of the law. He said not one jot or tittle will pass away until heaven and earth pass away and until everything is fulfilled. So they're all valid. They're all eternal. They teach us how to properly keep the Ten Commandments. The word ordinances here in verse 1 is the Hebrew word mishpatim. And it's often translated as judgments. Your Bible might say judgments. Mine says ordinances. Sometimes it's translated as manner or fashion. It's not so much here judgments as though a judge is passing a final sentence on a person. Now, it can mean that. As a matter of fact, the root word mishpat means a judge or an elder in the community of Israel. But here, it's in the sense of this. I judge this to be the proper manner or way of doing something. That's what the judgment or the ordinance means here. So, we're learning some Hebrew here. Brother Sandy's going to like that, right? Mishpatim. 421 times in the Hebrew Bible it's used. We're learning Hebrew. We all know the word Torah. Torah means teachings, instructions. I like to say guidance, loving guidance. But now we're learning Mishpatim. Everybody say Mishpatim. Mishpatim. Learning some Hebrew. A good definition of Mishpatim is the proper manner of living. I judge this to be proper. I judge this to be right. This section of the Torah, Exodus 21.1, all the way to Exodus 24.18, is called Mishpatim in the traditional Torah portions. There are over 50 commandments found herein in the traditional counting of the 613 laws. Do not let that overwhelm you. Anything worth doing takes time. I had an old timer tell me that one time. Anything worth doing takes time. You can do something cheap in a hurry. So it's okay to take your time to study the Torah. And it's fine if you only grasp one small nugget each time we do our Torah study here at the congregation. That's one more gold nugget to add to your collection of wisdom and understanding. When we study the Torah, we are studying the character of Yahweh. Each commandment, no matter how small, teaches us something about the Creator. The study of the commandments is the study of Elohim. And that's whether or not a particular commandment even applies to you. Even if it doesn't apply to you, it's still holy, righteous, and just. And shows forth the character of the Almighty. It comes from His mouth. We do not want to edit Yahweh. Even when we read a section of the law that violates what our current thought or our current culture thinks or promotes, we don't want to edit Yahweh. We want to say no to the culture and say yes to Yahweh. Because when we edit Yahweh, we're trying to mold him into our own image rather than us being molded into his image. So let's move to Exodus 21 verse 2. Here it says, When you buy a Hebrew slave, he is to serve for six years. Then in the seventh, he is to leave as a free man without paying anything. What we begin to see here is that Yahweh regulates the practice of slavery. Yahweh does not condemn slavery wholesale. He puts guidelines on it and he shows us how to properly practice it. Brothers and sisters, when Yahweh regulates something in his law, it is not a sin to practice it so long as you abide by the regulations that he gives. Some people read these laws, some Christians read these laws, Christian scholars, 
smart men, smart women. They read these laws and they just do not want to accept that slavery is not outright condemned. So they come up with excuses for Yahweh or they come up with accommodations for Yahweh. They'll say something like this. Well, the people already practiced slavery in that culture. God didn't really like it, but he formed to their current culture and tried to wean them off a little at a time. No, that's not right. That's trying to make an excuse for Yahweh. That's trying to make your doctrine more holy than Yahweh's doctrine. You can't one-up Yahweh. Yahweh does not bow to the whims or the wants of people. When the Creator wants to condemn a practice, He has no problem condemning that practice. Let me give you a few examples. Thou shalt not murder. Pretty clear. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And I could keep going. When Yahweh does not want His people practicing something, He tells them directly. If he regulates a practice, it means he does not condemn that practice. He just wants it practiced properly. An example would be like drinking wine or beer or eating food. Those practices are regulated. They're not condemned. Deuteronomy 14 says you can enjoy oxen and sheep for food and wine and beer for drink at Yahweh's feasts. Whatever your soul desires, he says there in the Torah. Yet, a few chapters later in Deuteronomy 21, it condemns a glutton and a drunkard. A glutton is one who gorges himself on food. A drunkard is one who gorges himself on alcohol. So there's regulations for eating and drinking. You can eat and drink and be merry, but don't overdo it to the point that you don't know what's going on. Practice moderation. That's an example of Yahweh regulating a practice and not condemning it outright. And that's what's going on here in Exodus 21. Yahweh regulates slavery. We know the story of the Exodus where Yahweh delivered the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. We kept the Passover to memorialize that not too long ago. We know the children of Israel were under harsh slavery in Egypt. It did not start out that way. There was a time in the adult life of Joseph, one of the young sons of Jacob Israel, where the Israelites and the Egyptians, they became friends. After Joseph, things began to change and eventually the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites to the point of beating them and even throwing their baby boys into the Nile River. One translation of Exodus 1 says, the Egyptians ruthlessly made the Israelites serve. That word ruthlessly is the Hebrew word perek, meaning to break apart, to fracture, or to be cruel. So Yahweh sent a savior, a deliverer. His name was Moshe. And the children of Israel were delivered from harsh slavery. So there is a wrong type of slavery that is condemned in Holy Scripture. That can be proven very easily. But I want you to look at something you've read before, maybe numerous times, from Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5 is the second giving of the Ten Commandments, a reiteration of the Ten Commandments. And before we read, I want you to remember that in the first giving of the law, the fourth commandment, which is the commandment about the Sabbath, the fourth commandment says that the reason Yahweh wants us to rest on the Sabbath is because back at the creation, Yahweh advanced or made heaven and earth in six days and then rested on the seventh day. Therefore, he wants us to rest on the seventh day, Sabbath. But he doesn't say that in Deuteronomy 5. That's not the reason that Yahweh gives for the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5. He adds something here that is significant. Look at it. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Be careful to dedicate the Sabbath day 
as Yahweh your mighty one has commanded you. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your mighty one. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your ox or donkey, any of your livestock or the foreigner who lives within your gates so that your male and female slaves may rest as you do. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and Yahweh your mighty one brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why Yahweh your mighty one has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see that? He stresses the point that the Israelites were once slaves in Egypt and when they were there, they were allotted no Sabbath. They weren't allowed to keep the Sabbath while they were in Egypt. As a matter of fact, in Exodus 4 and 5, when Moses and Aaron first come to the people of Israel and they're talking to them about, hey, we've come to deliver you guys from Egypt. Pharaoh gets upset because the people stop working. And Pharaoh says, look, you're making them rest, which is the Hebrew word Shabbat. It's a little vowel pointed, a little bit different than the noun, the Sabbath, but it still means to rest. And it's used in association with the Hebrew word Shabbat um, all through Hebrew scripture. So they get upset that the Israelites are resting. Well, Deuteronomy 5 pulls back on that. Not by abolishing slavery, but by regulating it. Your manservant and maidservant shall rest on the Sabbath. It's a commandment to let your servants rest on Shabbat. Right here in the fourth commandment. I want you to take note here of the relationship between the Sabbath day and the removal from Egypt in Deuteronomy chapter 5. He tells them, you were a slave in Egypt and Yahweh brought you out. That's why he commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Now, this is a little fun fact right here. What day did Yahweh deliver the Israelites from Egypt? Now remember, it was Passover time. Passover is on the 14th day, Bain Ha Arbaim, between the evenings. Moving into the 15th at night. Numbers 33 and 3 says they departed from Ramses in the first moon on the 15th day of the moon, which is a Sabbath. Now, it's a high Sabbath for us, a high day for us. And what I mean by that is it's not only the weekly Shabbat in the lunar Sabbatarian understanding, but it's also the first day of unleavened bread. And so that makes it high, big, John 19, 31, mega in Greek. But still an annual no work day for traditional Saturday Sabbatarians. First day of unleavened bread for traditional Saturday Sabbatarians is a no work day. It can be called a Shabbaton or Shabbat. Yahweh delivered Israel on a Sabbath. I think lunar Sabbatarianism works better here because of the association in the fourth commandment here with the seventh day Sabbath. But either way, it's a Sabbath. What better day to de receive deliverance from bondage than on the Sabbath day? It reminds me of that account in Luke chapter 13 where there was a woman and she had been bent over for about 18 years. She couldn't stand up straight. And they were there in the synagogue on Shabbat and Yeshua saw her and he healed her. And the Pharisees got upset. They said, you got six days to come and be healed. Don't come on the Shabbat. And Yeshua said, oh my goodness, y'all really got it mixed up. He said, you guys will loosen your animals on Shabbat and take them down to the watering hole and let them drink. Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from her bondage on the Sabbath day? 
And of course, they couldn't say anything because Yeshua was so much smarter than the Pharisees. Even when he was 12 years old, he was amazing the people there at the temple. And so it was never wrong to heal somebody on Shabbat because it's, good, it's lawful to do good on Shabbat. So getting back to the servants here in the fourth commandment, Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15 mentions your male and female slaves. Exodus 20, verse 10 says the same as Deuteronomy, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh, your mighty one. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the foreigner who is within your gates. So the law of Yahweh in the Ten Commandments assumes that the Israelites had slaves or servants and it does not condemn it, but it regulates it and it says, make sure that your servants get the Sabbath off. They have to rest too. Don't treat them like the Egyptians treated you when you were in the land of Egypt. Now, we've read Genesis before too, but it does not always register in our minds that the righteous people of Yahweh had manservants and maidservants and they were never condemned for it. For example, I'll give you a couple of examples. In Genesis 24, Abraham sends his oldest servant who is probably Eleazar. The Bible never completely ties the loop on that, but... I assume that Eleazar is his oldest servant mentioned there in Genesis 15 through 24. And in Genesis 24, 35, Eleazar says this. Remember, I believe Eleazar was sent to fetch a wife for Abraham's son Isaac. That's where we get Rebekah. And Yahweh makes him prosperous on his journey because he prays and he bows down. Adonai Yahweh Whichever, let a woman come out and feed and water me and my camels. And I'll know that she'll be the one. And Yahweh made it happen. And then in verse 35, Eleazar says, Yahweh has greatly blessed my master. Who was his master? Abraham. Abraham. And he has become rich. He has given him, that's Yahweh. Yahweh has given him, Abraham, sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female slaves, and camels and donkeys. All of it mixed in there together. The blessings of Yahweh. Genesis 30 verse 43. In speaking of the blessings of Jacob. It says. And the man became very rich. He had many flocks. Male and female slaves. And camels. And donkeys. No insinuation there. That any of these things were wrong. So we have approved examples. Of righteous men. Having manservants and maidservants. Under them. They're the master. They have servants. In their household. We have at least. One of the ten commandments. That assumes that the Israelites had servants. And then, of course, we have the text that we're studying now in Exodus 21, 2 through 6, that regulates the practice of slavery or servanthood. So all slavery is not a sin. Practicing it wrongly is a sin. We'll get more into that when we cover the law against kidnapping in Exodus 21, 16. Exodus 21, 16 actually tells us that the judgment for kidnapping is death, capital punishment. So it's very serious. And we'll talk about unlawful slavery more when we get there. But it can be practiced justly. Now that will make people in the world mad, including many Christians. And I do not preach just to make people mad. That's not what I do when I study. I don't sit there and rub my hands together and say, what can I do to make people mad? <laughs> I heard a man say one time that if you, if you love to offend people, then you shouldn't be a preacher. But if you hate to offend people, you shouldn't be a preacher. Because we can say something in kindness and in gentleness and in love and it be the truth and it still make people upset because it's the word of Yahweh. 
So I'm more worried about making Yahweh mad. I teach to please Him. When I teach or study something, brothers and sisters, this is how every holy preacher should do it. A preacher should not look to what anybody in the world thinks or believes to gather his information. Now, I do always consider what other students of Scripture in the past and in the present have concluded because I would be foolish to think that I'm the only man that's ever studied the Bible. There are many good Bible students throughout history, past and even now present, that I learned from. I don't get everything on my own. I do learn from other men and women. But I do my best to stick with what I honestly believe Yahweh teaches through His Torah. I don't make excuses for Yahweh. I don't try to weasel around His instructions. I believe that His instructions are right. I do not want to lean to my own understanding. I do not want to lean to any other man or woman's understanding. I want to gain understanding from the inspired instruction manual. So sometimes when I teach, that means I upset the more fundamental conservative Christians. I'm not a fundamental conservative Christian. I upset them in my last series when I said that pants were a neutral garment and that it wasn't a sin for a woman to wear pants. That upsets some fundamental conservative Christians. One of my Pentecostal friends yesterday sent me a, a short clip of a Pentecostal preacher talking about how it was a sin for a man to have a beard. It was worldly. That's wrong. That's just flat out wrong. I actually preach the opposite of that. And so... You know, he would think I was some kind of hippie up here with a beard preaching without a suit and a tie on, right? Some of the things I do upset fundamental conservative Christians. Um, but this particular series is going to upset the more liberal progressive Christians in the world. They call themselves progressive. I don't think they're making much progress. <laughs> because I think they're trying to... I think they're trying to form to the whims of, of the current culture instead of sticking with Yahweh's law and letting Yahweh's law be their guide. So I will upset them, not because I'm necessarily wanting to, but simply because I believe some people have not yet learned to love Yahweh's law. They have not trained their minds to think like the Creator quite yet. Brothers and sisters, the law of Yahweh is perfect. Tamim. It's complete. Converting the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure. Making wise the simple. The statutes of Yahweh are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure. Lighting up the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean and endures forever. And the judgments. Mishpatim. Exodus 21, 1-6. The judgments of Yahweh are true and righteous altogether. We sing it. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. People get in a rush, in a hurry to make gold, to make money. But they don't get in a rush, in a hurry to study what's more than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. I love honey. I drink hot tea every morning. I put a spoonful, or I fudge a little bit, put a little bit more than a spoonful of honey in my hot tea, and I stir it around with some milk. And that hot tea tastes wonderful. Sweeter than honey, Elijah. Sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in the keeping of them, there is great reward. Amen. Psalm 19, 7-11. That's a refrigerator verse. That's a verse you need to memorize. Put it on your refrigerator. Somebody starts talking bad about Yahweh's commandments. Think, well, what about Psalm 19, 7-11? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. 
Exodus 21 verse 2 when it says, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he is to serve you six years. That may not sit well with our culture or our society, but it does not matter. All of Yahweh's commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. Psalm 111, 7 through 8. One of the greatest Hebrew Torah scholars of the past, Rabbi Moshe ben Mamon, sometimes called from the Latin Maimonides, which means son of Mamon. I would encourage you, if you want to watch a good, good movie, there's a little documentary for children that they put together, but it's good for adults about the life of this particular Hebrew scholar, Rabbi. He lived in the 12th century A.D., born in Spain, died in Egypt, lived sometime in Israel. He wrote Mishnah Torah, which basically is a, a simple, simpler compilation of the entirety of the Hebrew law. Um, he's known often by the acronym Rambam <laughs> amongst Jews. He states this in Mishnah Torah, Laws of Indentured Servants, Book 9, Section 8. Quote, the early sages would give their servants from every dish on their table. They would feed their animals and their servants before sitting to their own meals. Does it not say, Psalm 123.2, as the eyes of the servant to the hand of his master, as the eyes of the maid to her mistress, so our eyes are towards the Lord our God. So too, you should not denigrate a servant, neither physically nor verbally. The Torah made him your servant to do work, not to be disgraced. Do not treat him with constant screaming and anger. Rather, speak with him pleasantly and listen to his complaints. Such were the good ways in which Job took pride when he said, Did I ever despise the judgment of my servant and my maid when they argued with me? Did not my maker make him two in the belly? Did not the same one form us both in the womb? Job thirty-one thirteen through 15 For anger and cruelty are only found among other nations. The children of Abraham, our father, and they are Israel, to whom the Holy One, blessed be He, has provided the goodness of Torah and commanded us righteous judgments and statutes. They are compassionate to all. This is one of the attributes of the Holy One, blessed be He, that we are commanded to emulate. Psalm 145, 9, and He has compassion for all He has made. End of that quote. Now, get this in your mind as I close today. You are a servant of Yahweh. You are a slave of Yahweh. If you believe in Him and follow Him, you're Yahweh's slave. If you're a man, you're a manservant. If you're a woman, you're a maidservant of the Almighty. That's all of us. The same word, whether you translate it servant or slave, some Bibles use slave, some Bibles use servant, either one is fine. The Hebrew word is ebed, and you're one of them if you follow Yahweh. You're an ebed. We know that because the same word that's used in these texts about male and female slaves, the same word that's used of Eleazar, Abraham's servant, is also used of Abraham. Abraham is an abed. Eleazar was an abed to Abraham, and Abraham was an abed to Yahweh. Genesis 26, verse 24, Yahweh appears to Isaac, and he says this, I am the mighty one of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless and multiply your offspring because of my servant or slave, Abed, Abraham. That's the same word used in the Ten Commandments for the manservants, the male slaves. Abraham was an Abed of Yahweh. And if you want 
If you want to be in a right relationship with Yahweh, you too will be an Ebed of Yahweh. Abraham treated Eleazar properly. Abraham was even ready to give Eleazar his inheritance.